Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Now, a word from our sponsor. This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com. Welcome to the first hiatus show of our December 2016 series. Well, we are off, and Patrick is especially off working on the club for you. You get to listen to our one of our classic episodes on cordials. You still have plenty of time left to get your winter gifts started, make some herbal cordials for family and friends, and to enjoy on your special holiday. And make sure that you listen in, too, because when we get further into the show, we're going to take a break and tell you a little bit more about that club we're working on. And here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Today we're going to be talking about herbal cordials and liqueurs. Sue, you are our resident expert on these. <laughs> you want to tell us what you've got planned to brew up here or what you're already working on? Yeah, I already have one of the recipes on the website, and it's one of my absolute favorites, and that one is the spiced Asian pear brandy. And although it is labeled as a brandy, it is actually a liqueur, or it can be called a cordial because it has sugar in it. Uh, the definition of a cordial and or a liqueur, because those two terms can be used interchangeably, is something, uh, an alcoholic beverage that has over 2... 2.5%. 2.5%, yeah, sugar. Yeah, it's a good thing you mentioned that to me just before we started recording. Yeah, no no <laughs> doubt. That, well, we're both looking at each other hesitantly. What was the number? It was more than one. Yep. So that one is one that I've been using for many years, and it's a, a good, reliable recipe. And everyone gets all excited because first they're expecting the Asian pear sweetness, and then they take a sip, and their mouth just gets that ginger taste to it. And it's mm-hmm. so warming and gentle, and it's such a nice pairing with the pear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, there are a number of other recipes that we're going to be putting on the website one of them has to do with elderberry and just there's so many different fruits of the season that lend perfectly to making cordials and liqueurs and because it's a good sweet sipping alcohol it's very popular for christmas or holiday presents or birthday presents there are people that have now requested from me mm-hmm. well this is the flavor that i want for my birthday present or my <laughs> whatever the, the christmas present and my daughter has come over and um, we have a a cherry liqueur that i've made and i just collect all these recycled bottles of many different shapes and colors and give them a good sterile bath and some of them are funky you know they'll be round and they'll look like some of them look like hip flasks and but you can see through them because the colors of liqueurs are just beautiful yeah they do end up producing some really pretty hues yeah that cherry one we had a lot of fun with because we had a round bottle and it's sipping so you're giving someone fairly small amount right yeah it's like an ounce or so like a the amount that you would put in a shot glass, essentially. Yeah, for your for your dose of it, or if you're adding it to something um, like your coffee or something like that, or another cocktail, for example, um, it's a good base for cocktails. Uh, the red one was in this round glass, and then we put a ribbon around it, and we put a sticker over it, and put a little skull 
on it, <laughs> on the sticker. So it looked uh, very uh, Victorian, very, mm-hmm. had a kind of a goth look nice. that, was, that was popular. And then we put an old-fashioned cork at the top of it and put a little wax on it. And it was fun. That, like the steampunk Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> and she's in her mid-20s, so that is yeah. it. That, perfect. Yeah, it was, it was perfect for them. And it was a, it, a really inexpensive thing to make. Yeah. You know, the yeah. the part that I think was the biggest pain was taking the pits out of the cherries. Right. And some people, for their cordials, they don't take the pits out of the cherries. But I'm a little leery because cherry pits yeah. do have toxins in them. Right. And they can add a bitterness like almond, they for example. They do add a surprising amount of bitterness. Yes. I've made meads with cherries and the pitted, when you pit it, it there's less bitterness. It's mm-hmm. a better... It is a better product. Yeah. So when you're not fermenting, I mean, you're not fermenting them, but you're not letting them stand more than a couple of weeks, though, right? Yeah. There's a couple different ways of making a cordial or a liqueur. And um, we talked about this a little before you and I did. uh, But for those listening, they're... Technically, a cordial and a liqueur are the same thing. But the way that people use the words, a, a cordial is the one that has more of a fruity right fruity yeah. base all cordials are liqueurs but not all liqueurs are cordials, cordials yeah yes. but a, a, a an example would be like an almond liqueur or one of those milk based or coffee like based Bailey's liqueurs Irish cream would be a liqueur but it's not a cordial right or drambouille or, or something yeah. like that yeah uh but a cordial is almost always something that's very fruity and base, like the like the Asian pear. Right. And you can use either a honey uh, as a, honey as a sweetener, or you can use just plain old fashioned sugar as a sweetener. The advantage of the honey is, of course, it blends really nicely because it's already a liquid. The, and it's a more of a natural. If you if you have bees, for example, honey would be an obvious <laughs> obvious choice. Honey has an awful lot of healthful properties too, like antibacterial properties and anti-inflammatory properties, mm-hmm. and it's gently drying. Yes. So especially if you're like our damp winters, our respiratory systems can use a little bit of something that helps them dry a little. So right. we know that honey is excellent in black teas and other things like that. So, I mean, it's yeah. natural for cordials, I would think. Yeah. Some people definitely prefer the flavor of a honey base. But unfortunately, honey also leaves a cloudy texture sure. uh, or uh, uh, visual visual. In, right. in the yeah. cordial, and if you don't like that, then you just do one more extra racking afterwards. Take it out of the of the container, and then strain it, and then strain it again, and you can get most of that cloudiness out, and still oh, nice. enjoy using the honey. But a sugar is just very simple, and sugar is cheap. And if you, you wanted, could you, you use the raw sugar that's unprocessed raw sugar mm-hmm. rather than the white sugar? Because the unprocessed white sugar. Unprocessed raw sugar still has a dis- decent number of the minerals that processed sugar strips out of your body. Yeah. So you could maybe help with some of the balancing that way. Most definitely, that's the sugar that we use in our household. It's just we just go to Costco and get the big, huge thing of the raw sugar and use that. And right. And I use that in canning and everything else. And it's, it's yeah. It's a little more expensive, but... It's not that much more expensive. It isn't, truly. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we're not using huge amounts. We're in canning season. Oh, my gosh, you go yeah. through lots and lots of sugar. Right. That's the big sugar time, but... 
right. um, the rest of the year. It's it's just a product that kind of sits around and gets used a little bit here and there. So can you pretty much use any fruit for cordials? How I mean, what are your what are your personal favorites besides the Asian pear and the you mentioned ginger. The berries. Yeah, the berries. berries are really good. A blueberry cordial is really nice. And that, um, that one is, is great because it provide, it's very sweet, extremely sweet, yeah. but it blends nicely with a lot of other flavors. So it'll pick up the citrus. You can put in okay. some um, lemon or I've even had a cordial that had lime in it blueberry and lime and my goodness I'm, my brain is mm. not thinking of the other spice that it had in it but it was a, um, a oh pepper oddly oh, very nice. an interesting blend of stuff and the thing working with any peppers and this is something that I haven't seen in in the literature but I know from personal experiences pepper has to be strained out within a few days or it'll get bitter that makes sense yeah and it'll become overpoweringly hot Uh, yeah pepper is pretty warming yeah even if you're just putting one pod in it 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 just opens up further and further the alcohol is a perfect place and the in the addition of the sugar for it to get all that capsicum in there and it will be extremely hot and very bitter and difficult even with the extra sugar so would you recommend like jalapeno or sereno does it matter which type of pepper you're using it it really depends on how much you want to punish your guests i would think (laughs) (laughs) but the the key there is if you're putting the pepper into anything just a couple of days and then take it out right or it's that's all you're going to taste and the other flavors will be lost that makes sense. And yeah. you can use peppercorns, too. That's kind of a fun little addition to add. But again, those, like the cayenne peppers, need to be taken out or they will get bitter. And I know they're not necessarily closely related, but they have a similar effect. Right. Well, spices in general, at least with mead making, you don't want them in very long. It's right. It's very short because they do, off, all of them offer an awful lot of bittering properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the exception, I think... In my experience, it's ginger. Like I can right. keep ginger. Well, ginger in there isn't the a whole... spice; it's a root. Oh, okay. You know, spices so. like cinnamon and cloves and cardamom and all the things that you go down to the spice aisle in your grocery store mm-hmm. and you find them there. Those are all going to be. I would. I haven't tried dried ginger, but my bet is that dried ginger would be something you don't want in for a very long time either. Mm-hmm. It seems like all the stuff that we use as culinary spices that you would buy in the containers. All, almost all of them seem to offer an awful lot of bittering. Yeah. If you're, if you, there's a couple different ways of working with your cordials or liqueurs, and, and one is to start it on the stove, mm-hmm. and that one is a three-week process, so that's like a kind of a cheater's way of doing it. <laughs> For those of us who forget until near Thanksgiving. Yeah, there's a the, lot of guilty parties in this room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. You can start on your stove and you're basically making a simple syrup and you have a recipe on our site for the Turkish cardamom syrup so right. you could already have that one made and then turn that into a liqueur and, and then once it's cooled then you're adding your alcohol to it and, and letting it sit and really absorb the flavors before nice. racking it out. And then the old-fashioned way that I know about, and I don't know the, the um, age of any of these recipes really, but this is just the one I know about, is you're putting your fruit in with your spices and sugar and then putting it in a mason jar and then you add the alcohol and you just 
turn it every single day. Turn okay. it upside down. And the next day, you turn it right side up again every single day. And that can last for three months or so. Sure. That's the method I think my Bopsha used to use when I was a little girl. I remember her having her jars of, I can't remember if she called them. I think she did call them cordials. But either way, they were sweet. They were fruity. They were right. alcoholic. They were delicious. Everybody in the family would drink plenty of them and claim that they didn't have much alcohol. But boy, by they, the end uh, of that night, they, you could tell that was a lot of alcohol. Oh, yeah. <laughs> everybody loved everybody else. That's the, yeah. I know it as being a, a French method of, sure. of doing the cordials. And, and we actually would have some of them sitting in, you know, the the cooling spot. It's a cold, dark place. So like a basement mm-hmm. or something, if your house has a basement or the... Um, a storm cellar or what have you, the place where you go when hurricanes come through. Right. And it lined the walls, and some of those have been there for a long time. So you can imagine right. that, particularly when you're leaving the skin on, either it's an apple cordial or a pear cordial or something where the skin is there so they can add more fermentation to it, and the alcohol level just goes up. And you yeah. open up something that was made one this year as opposed to a couple of years back, and you can taste the alcohol difference. It's right. very... And if there was ever a disaster and you had to go into that storm cellar, you wouldn't care about what was happening up there. You'd just, you'd just pass your time drifting in and out of consciousness, sampling different flavors. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's into the world. Good. Forget it. That is not the term we're using. No, that goes down easy, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, and you do got to sip it because it's sweet. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are putting it on desserts. You know the yeah yeah we would we actually I remember my mom bringing home some and we would have them on the French vanilla ice cream just to, and as kids we got hard doing any but right you know we get just a little drizzle of it it was so good mm. that would be good putting it in your coffee like I said that was a mm-hmm. that was one of the ways of making PTA meetings a lot easier for me when my kids were little. <laughs> I brought my coffee cup, and it had some special sweetener in there. Yep. And the other people's opinions were not as important to me. I mean, I just smiled right through them. And normally, I can get a little rattled, but that was... That's a good way to survive yeah, that. That was a good cup of peace and quiet for me, yeah. So if you were taking the Turkish cardamom syrup, for instance, yeah, and you finished off your syrup, so at the end of that recipe, you've strained out your extra cardamom pods, and you have you know just your plain syrup. Would that be the point at which you're going to add your alcohol? Yes, yeah. And let's say you have maybe a quarter cup or a cup, let's say you have a cup of syrup Mm -hmm. roughly how much alcohol how much brandy or rum rum. yeah Yeah, rum would probably be a really good one roughly i mean would that be like a uh one of those one liter bottles the giant jug style or would it be more like the skinny bottle uh well if you're trying to get 2.5 percent quart container um couple of teaspoons of your flavoring and then two cups of vodka and that's what that looks like Okay, so probably you're, for the, like if you had a cup of syrup or so, you're probably looking at the two cups, which is 16 ounces, which is how close to the, I always forget the sizes of the alcohol bottles, but probably be the skinny bottle rather than the big jug. Yeah, and then the, you're you're putting like a cup of sugar in there too, so you still have a cup of headroom. Right, It's two cups of alcohol, I'm kind of working this in, and then a cup of sugar, and then you're, a a couple teaspoons of, or a teaspoon of the 
spice because you don't want to overwhelm that. And the sugar, you, if you're just using a heavy syrup like you're talking about, right. that's what you would use. If you're if you're doing a fruit one, then it's yeah. not going to be an entire cup of sugar in a quart. Right. It'll be half a cup and yeah. then half a cup at least. Right. Maybe a little bit more of your fruit. If your fruit, Asian pear is really got a oh distinctive flavor to it. Ridiculously sweet, too. And the bitter apples have a, a very distinctive flavor to right. it. But if you've got just a regular sweet apple, then you would want to add a little bit more apple to get a little more flavor in there. Otherwise, the other the other spices are just going to drown it all out in your final product. Right. That makes sense. So we were talking about some of your favorite ones, and we talked a lot about fruits. I know elderflower cordial is pretty much the same thing as a St. Germain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, are there other herbs and spices that one would use to make good cordials? I mean, I have one that will be on the site that's called Sugar Plum Fairy, and it's Ooh. got those Italian plums. Oh, and I love those. Then the I put a, a stick of, of uh, cinnamon in there. And, you know, a lot of the pumpkin pie spices. Oh, yeah. And instead of grating the nutmeg, then I chunk it. Okay. Just a couple small chunks of nutmeg because that lets it permeate without just dissolving. Straining something with a a powder, Mm. it's a pain in the neck. Yeah, that's And it can really make it cloudy. And I had to learn that one the hard way. (laughs) I was too lazy to go to the store to get myself some cinnamon sticks. So I just used powder and... Oh. Cheesecloth was not good enough. No, and I there, imagine even a jelly bag wouldn't be yeah. fine enough for that. There's <laughs> a lot of things you can use for strainers. Cheesecloth is the thing that most people like to use. They're familiar with, but paper coffee filter. If you mm-hmm. if you double them up because they can tear, depending on the weight sure. of your fruit. I used a paper coffee filter with a, I think it was a, oh my goodness, it was a very small seed. It might have been elderberry, the okay. elderberry one. But really, it was very small. It wasn't heavy. I wouldn't have used it for the Asian pear one because otherwise it would have torn right through. But, yeah, it it went through really nicely. And um, another thing that we put through was just a plain ginger. And we used used less of the sugar and just put in crystallized ginger. Mm. And, boy, that had... That was, that was super warming, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Very. It, it was for the ginger ophiles. I was gonna say that sounds almost medicinal. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. We needed some medicine after drinking that. That was hardcore, yeah. but it was yeah. really great to add to things. That was something that we stirred into lots of different stuff. Yeah, that sounds like that would be hardcore. Hardcore. Hard yeah, Hard exactly. Thank nice. you. That's exactly the word. <laughs> what is yeah. that? Yeah, but I know of some people that yeah. have made herbal liqueurs where they're putting these incredible herbs like thyme and sage and it's a very warming yeah, a green colored liqueur. I was thinking about bay leaf. That sounds to me like it would oh. make a wonderful brandy liqueur. Yeah, bay, bay leaf is one of my liqueur. new favorites. I just yeah. ignored it. A couple of years back, uh, the American Herbalist Association made bay leaf their herb of the year. And I was like, oh, come on, oh, really? God. All of the herbs <laughs> and you're using bay leaf as the herb of the year. And then having done a little bit of work looking at it, I realized it's got a lot of good properties. It makes a great foot bath. It didn't occur to you that there's a reason why I hound you for your bay trim 
prunings no, every year. No. I'm like, Sue, bring those over. I was just obedient. This is like whatever can of swan skin is get. There's your bay leaf, crazy lady. That was it. Oh, I go through them every year. They're great. Yeah. I mean, I cook with them, sure, yeah. but I never really thought of it as herbal medicine until yeah. I started using it. And we yeah. put it in the foot baths at Occupy Medical. And it has a wonderful smell. It's calming. Mm-hmm. Now I, you know, I like I had mentioned to you before. I'm I'm putting it in my mop water, mm-hmm. and everything yeah. just smells wonderful. It and is. it really cuts the crud out because of its mm-hmm. antiseptic properties. That would but make that would make a great. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of things you could put in because the nice thing about bay leaf also it blends with so many different flavors so well. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um. There was a book you had mentioned at one point that had information on herbal liqueurs. Drunken. The Drunken Botanist. Thank you. That's one of my new favorites. Don't ask me what the name of the author is. She's done mm-hmm. a few. We'll have that link on yeah, I'll make our sure page, on the, the Real Herbalism yeah. Radio page. And I would like to do a review of it because I went out and, and bought it. And it's one of those books that you read a a couple of chapters and you it, it, it's based they the chapters are chunked into uh subsections about the particular herbs themselves and some of their history and i do have to say some of the stories are not necessarily true <laughs> some of the information is not necessarily accurate but that doesn't that should not stop you from enjoying the stories themselves right. Yeah. So and and who else in of the of the readers would know except uber nerds like myself whether it's accurate. Or not. <laughs> so even if in, if someone like me can still enjoy it then you know yeah. it's, it's still a great thumbs up. I really really enjoyed reading it through and the great recipes and the history behind some of these alcohols and the pieces like she always has uh, bugs and booze sprinkled <laughs> throughout, you know, not just, you know, bees just- but uh, ants and fascinating little tidbits. She does a fabulous job of working. Yeah, it's her. one that I've been waiting to borrow that one from you as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah good luck. Get in line. That's a long line. I know. Line. I know. That's I was thinking, how line. am I going to pry that out of her fingers? Yeah. <laughs> but she wrote. Well, if we're going to do a review on the site, you know, I'll need to read that. Book oh, well. see how you are. Okay. Yeah, but it's a it's a fabulous book. I recommend it. Any of her other books, I recommend too. The Wicked Weeds was the first one I read of hers. So I and I heartily recommend that one. Again, it's it's this ethnobotany of yeah. the history and the stories of these plants that we have grown up with and how they've shaped us as a society. Yeah, it's really really fabulous. So and it opened my eyes personally to some of the other plants out there that I had been neglecting. Mm-hmm. You know their flavors nice. and the savory pieces of them. So nice. yeah. Alrighty. Well, I think that I think we're almost out of time here. So. I want to thank you for sharing your delightful set of recipes and information on cordials and liqueurs. Yes, thank you, too. It's always, this is fun. I enjoy sharing this time with you. Yes. Now it's time for a Real Herbalism Radio sponsor break. Gee, Patrick, you've been really busy this last week working on something over there. I have been. I've got this idea. <laughs> oh, working yeah. it out. He's got the scary sidelong glance. <laughs> oh, do tell. <laughs> do tell. Well, it's not just me, but we've been thinking of a really cool way to bring our herbal fans together. So we came up with a club, a club. idea. A club. A club, a club idea. An idea. We don't have it a officially named, club. but we are working on it and we will be launching it at the first of the year. Yes. Yeah. First yes. of the year, yes. 2017. You, 
We'll probably see little changes here and there on the website. Some things are going to move around and shuffle, mm-hmm. uh, but it is coming. What are some of the things that one might be getting excited about that could be Not in this ominous. club? In the club. Well, <laughs> I can tell you that all of the past Real Herbalism Radio podcasts will be available to club members as part of their membership. That is a rocking benefit, actually. We have 70 70 podcasts. podcasts. And there's only 20 live at a given time. Right. So that'll give you a solid 50 50. podcasts. That's a lot of podcasts. Yes. That's just one of the things. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also some other stuff that you both have been cooking up as far as writing. We've got some exciting new memoir pieces on adapting and using herbs in your life for reals. For realsies. We're also looking Mm -hmm. at webinars for our club members. And uh, if there's any new books that we're going to be releasing, a club member would get first crack at those. Yep. Yep. So those are all little bits of the the club ideas Possibly a forum. We talked about the possibility. There is a possibility of a forum. So us herbalists could communicate with each other and share ideas and information. Appropriately. Appropriately. Well, of course. We all of our (laughs) listeners would share appropriately. You're always so worried about appropriateness. (laughs) I've been wounded. Well, you have been partners with Patrick and I for a while. (laughs) You guys are mean. Yeah, don't be as mean as them. We're weird. (laughs) So the club is coming. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. The club is coming. coming. Yeah. (laughs) Back to our show. Now it's time for herbalism and homesteading news. Today, Sue, Patrick has brought a new article to us about some composting laws in Seattle. Patrick, could you tell us about that? So I was uh, looking around uh, last week and I came across an article called um, Seattle Okays a Dollar Fine for Adding Too Much Food to Garage uh, to Garbage Bins. In the Seattle Times, right? In the Seattle Times. Basically what they're going to do is is if you don't compost, they're going to charge you a dollar. Per month? No, it didn't really say, but I think it's per incident. And they're gonna they'll they'll warn you by sticking labels on your trash bins, basically stating that you have over fifty percent of food food waste in your in your garbage. So the, you and all your neighbors know that you got fined too. Uh, yeah, apparently it's a mark. Like, like, <laughs> oh, nice! Like, like scarlet letter. Yeah. <laughs> scarlet you compost. Didn't compost. Yellow post. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what's interesting about it is that. They have great goals of reaching 60% recycling uh, in all of their trash. Because mm-hmm. uh, as they said in a couple um, other uh, resources along with the Seattle Times, was that they have been meaning to get to a 60% recycled rate in their trash, but they stalled out and they um, have met all of the requirements on the other parts. But the biggest waste product that we generate for trash, or Seattle residents, we'll just pick on them, uh, generate is biodegradable food mass. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest waste. Something it's, the easiest thing in the world to transform. You stick it in a hole in the ground and it's over. Well, exactly. And they also said that they still ship 300,000 tons of trash from Seattle to uh, a site in eastern Oregon. And that's bot- our state. Yes. Right, I know, right. So, so that's why we're at, at Realism Radio getting all pissy right here yeah. on, on the radio for the pleasure of y'all. So... Yeah. I think we were all saying that it's a good thing that Seattle is doing this. It'll lessen our our load in Eastern Oregon. I think it's insane, the idea of being fined for putting... I mean, what if you don't have a compost bin or space to compost things? Well, what are you supposed to do then? What if you don't have garbage service? Actually, what they what they will be doing well, is part of their recycling is that they're going to have um, specific containers for for this. So what will happen is that you won't compost, or you can compost at your home if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. 
But as part of the collection, they're going to have a thing where you'll be able to put in all of your kitchen scraps and stuff. Like I hope you they do. seal that put those little filters on it to keep the stink down and the flies out. It's every week. Every week. It's every week, though. It doesn't smell Being that bad. Being a poor composter, I can tell you that it will start stinking pretty furiously within a week. Well, we do. We do <laughs> compost at my house, and we have a compost bin. Yeah, and it's all a poor composter. You know I put doing. all kinds of crazy yeah, stuff in there. Yeah, but it actually composts and breaks down properly. I know, but all they're like doing mine. is they're saying, okay, it, every week you got to have your food stuff in there. Just put it in this little bin and, and cart it off. And if you don't have a garbage service, they're obviously not looking through your garbage to see if you did it or not. So people that don't have garbage service don't get the fines because that's it's, a crazy it's only law. it's a law only for if you have garbage service. I think we need to make a law here in Springfield just for you, Candace, just to get just to get your goat, and it'll only oh, be for people that don't have garbage service. No, I. But the point <laughs> is, is they're bringing their trash to us rather than taking care of it. And those Seattle people have got to clean up their stuff. They shouldn't be so lazy and just putting their their food waste in the garbage for us to take care of. Because they don't. They don't have a place for it. So they give it to us poor crackers out here in Oregon. (laughs) Ridiculous people. And we're like, okay, I'll take your trash. That's great. But no, it says in this article down here, the city outlawed recyclable items from trash nine years ago, but the P... The SPU has collected less than $20,000 in fines. So clearly, Seattle is able to deal with those kind of regulations. Yeah, the SPU Nine years of $2,000, and that's all, 2,000 fines, that's all they've done in nine years. People right. are clearly able to follow those kind of directions. Well, they aren't just enforcing them very well. The SPU, Either way. The SPU, for everyone's information, Seattle Public Utilities Board. Yes. Well, <laughs> you would ask, Candace, how, how are they going to um, do this? And it's not a separate cart it's going to be part of the yard waste so all of your grass clippings your leaves your um fruits and vegetables breads pastas eggshells etc even your your paper towels napkins your paper plates your your soiled newspapers your greasy pizza boxes your dead possums all i mean i like the can, idea of composting all of that can be put into that yard waste container now for people you know for where we live you know we have a yard waste container and it is yard waste we don't put in food scraps and other right. things in there mm-hmm. so if they changed it here that would be something that they, a lot of people could grab onto because right. you know it is a lot of waste i mean when we were composting even though we were unsuccessful as poorly as, poorly as we, we could composted. never seem to get compost to work here um our waste amounts went way down and the trips that we were going because yes. we we go directly to the collection we don't have a, right. a weekly we pool. don't pay for the service right yeah. so we so because we can recycle more that way actually right. and um yeah you can recycle a lot more when you don't do the, the service at the place so anyway yeah. that's what we've chosen to do but we also noticed that we were having to go to that co- to the collection place um, more frequently now that we're not composting yeah so well, we used we didn't compost before because we didn't have a bin set up for it until someone gave us the Elvis Presley red worms for an Elvis Presley party, and then all of a sudden right. we start because obviously you know when the king summons you to compost, you got to do that. But they uh, before then this, this is real that was, that was real. So before then we were just throwing everything into the garbage, and we were at weekly collection. And then after the king shared his red wiggly worms with us, then it was every other week. So we were able to cut our garbage in half. Right, I'm not anti-composting. I've just been very, very unsuccessful with it. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying for this. And I find that you know, since I don't have garbage collection, I'm like, well, 
you know, then it wouldn't influence you at all. If you lived in right. Seattle, it wouldn't influence you at all. If you're still, you know, bringing stuff to the the, the going down to the dump myself. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But for people that do, and I'm particularly, you know, kind of doing the stereotyping about Seattle culture of this kind of upper crust, lots of money. Mm-hmm. They just throw things wherever, and they, you know, because they're wealthy, <laughs> they don't have to think about consequences. I know that's a stereotype, but I yeah. kind of thing like oh now you guys have to work a little harder you know you have to think about consequences and and that's not fair that's not fair for me to think of but it does kind of give me a little sly smile (laughs) especially knowing how much stuff they're sending to us right i mean that's sure Uh, but i will say that the thing that makes it very doable is that spu is not asking for another container to be in your garage it's not asking for you to change anything that you do normally except when you're done with dinner, instead of everything going into the trash heap, mm-hmm. you can actually just put that into your yard waste container, which you already have. Right. Yeah. You know, they're not asking for any more implementation of anything else. You already have the equipment that they want right. you to have. So it's even easier. Right. Yeah. Well, know? that was one of those culture shocks when we moved out west because out here, restaurants in the Eugene Springfield area, many restaurants already have you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, the, yeah, you separate. So, you separate. When so you you're bust separating your table. it when you bust your table at, at regular restaurants anyway. Right. So there's some places like the pig farmers that buy restaurant or they get donated restaurant or grocery store food waste and give it to their pigs. And that's, you know, now we're talking practical herbalist style stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I like that. So I think the the real big issue is that it's, it's, it's a municipality, it's a government that wants to do it and find you for it. But it really hasn't changed much from what they've done in the past to increase Seattle's ability to recycle are just making one more leap to it to get to their goal of 60%, which is by 2015. So yeah. as much as I can see where some people would say, oh, that's you know, Big Brother and it's the government and it's forcing it. On the same mm-hmm. token, is the only way that we get active change is by our elected government to do things that we in our best interest. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, like you said, Sue, if you look at how many fines were done by the last time that they had done this, um, nine years ago, nine years ago, yeah. it was only twenty thousand dollars for a right. city the size of Seattle. Right. Yeah, and they're, they're projecting that they may see two thousand dollars in fines next year if that's it for this, yeah. this yard waste. And thing. they get warnings too. They get educational yeah. warnings. Right. And that was the other part I liked about it is they were, they budgeted out a certain amount for education, which no matter what their fine structure is. Clearly, if they're dumping that much trash, Seattle needs that education. They need to start thinking about what happens when things leave their hands. Toddler thought pattern, it's over for them. We don't live in a society that will allow that anymore. Well, well they are the second state in our, or the second city in our union to adopt this kind of law. San Francisco has also done it. Mm. And them doing it, has, they've caught world attention. I mean, there's news articles on CNN's website, Capitol Hill article, BBC has published one, Reuters picked it up. Both here and in you and in Europe. I mean, uh-huh. it's not. It sounds like it's just a little thing, but it's actually wave of the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Well, if you look at one of the biggest problems that most large cities have, is waste. Mm-hmm. Where do they put it? And they generate so much of it. I mean, New York has a whole island made of trash, right? You know, and every day it gets bigger. Yeah. And so that's the, one of the biggest issues. So how do you curtail it? Well, you incentivize it by saying, well, it's going to cost you out of your pocketbook if you don't. Mm-hmm. And that's when suddenly people will start to do things when it costs some money. Yeah. yeah. Herbalism 101. This is part of the show where Sue and Candace answer a listener question or teach you about an herbal definition or term covering basic to advanced herbal knowledge. Mm-hmm. If you would like the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, 
You can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. If we choose your question for the show, we will send you a free PDF ebook, Natural Nutrition by the Practical Herbalist, currently available for $4.99 at the Practical Herbalist store. Here's Candace and Sue to discuss this show's Herbalism 101 topic. Sue, there's a new term, or well, it's probably not new, a term that I've been just learning, new to me, called bioremediation floating around out there. You want to tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I am a big fan of bioremediation. It's, it has been going on for quite some time. The definition of bioremediation is uh, removing or transforming toxins by using a biological agent, bacteria, plant, or mushroom. Plants are a really simple way for places like Superfund sites to clean up the toxins in the area. For instance, after a mining or a radiation spill or arsenic poisoning, they use cattails to clean the arsenic out of water. And that's just something that it, it absorbs from water naturally. It uses as a, as a food. The cattails are, there was a big project many years ago, and I have, we had this mentioned on our Practical Herbalist webpage under the cattail heading that the scientists did a bunch of, of studies using little kiddie pools full of <laughs> uh, cattails, which would be adorable. That would be like the ultimate background <laughs> playground. But the water was filled of arsenic, and then he tested the water after a couple of weeks and found marketable lack of arsenic in the water that had cattails in it and cattails are indigenous to so many different parts of the world so it's not like you're introducing invasive plants you're just asking people to plant and encourage more cattails in their already riparian areas that have been damaged by mining or agricultural uh, spills or you know down in Cresswell we're in the in the we're recording from the Willamette Valley and just down from us a little bit Cresswell has arsenic in the water and they're always having to put out reports on it and cattails grow in that area mm. so the cattails are hopefully trying to do the job yeah yeah you put it in there and they work really fast really quickly nice. and they're pulling it out and using it as a food another one is in both Chernobyl and in Fukushima the radiation people in Chernobyl, they built these huge rafts and they planted sunflowers on the rafts in the ponds near Chernobyl to pull the radiation out of the water. And they, those sunflowers, that's just one of the wonderful things they do. I mean, plants, they have been around and they have changed our environment already. That's one of the things that leads to evolution is how we've changed a fairly toxic environment to the environment that we're living in now because we all interact as different species and different families. And it's, it's so interesting to see what the government has done to acknowledge this process. And it's a cheaper way of changing and uh, cleaning up that area. Well, it makes sense to use the tools Mother Earth gave us. Exactly, because they don't really take that much monitoring. Right. They just do it on their own. <laughs> bacteria, when they do bacteria to pull th- um, and transform some areas, they will have to inject um, things like vegetable oil into the soil mm-hmm. in order to provide air pockets for the bacteria so it doesn't go anaerobic, although there are some anaerobic bacteria that also is used in Superfund sites to change things. But... There's so many different plants, reeds and alders, and a lot of different um, 
plant or mushrooms ever since yeah, there were I've heard mushrooms. Of the mushroom. There was an oyster mushrooms, I think it was, that they did a huge study on. And yeah, breaking down petroleum products. Right. That's one of the heavier toxins. And they just take these clumps of, of uh, petroleum-laden uh, plant matter and just break it down. And it would, it would it was really fast and easy. And the I understand that the oyster mushrooms were themselves still edible. Nice. It right. has transformed it. It's, it's it. wonderful to have that resource. And I love that the government is acknowledging that that's the best way of handling those things. And nice. they participate in that. I think we all win. Nice. Well, thank you. Bioremediation. This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com.